When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund, alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. his New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains, and this is New Report, Old Report. Here on Tuesday, September 10th, or May 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts as well as by visiting londonbridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437 or leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the National Football League returns. All the major storylines from week one, and Antonio Brown directs and stars in his own personal hard knocks. Check your sources. We're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? We don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics, and football fans rejoice even more than they did for last week's show with the start of college football season Now the NFL has returned. Fans are, well, many fans are still excited about their teams. Some fans had their heart ripped out already. People have won and lost money in copious amounts, as we can only imagine. And somehow still one of the biggest stories in the league was something that happened off the field, which is typical NFL. And we'll get into all of that as we move along in the show. But first we can talk about games that were actually played. And we saw some teams do what we thought they would. We saw other teams be a shock in a sense for their performances and their losses. We saw teams we didn't think would be very good not be very good. And we're seeing currently, as it wraps up and we record here, a fantastic game between two of the best NFC teams, Super Bowl-esque, to put a cap on this first week of football To be a typical radio show host and to have our show go down the typical radio show path when it comes to the NFL, anything surprise you to get things started that sticks out after week one of the NFL, good or bad? Well, Johnny, I I think that there were some astounding performances by quarterbacks. Uh, I I thought that the defenses would be ahead of most of the offenses from simply the point of view that preseason now has become a a virtual non-season for most of the offensive regulars. So as we've seen, when you you try and take a look at these games in the preseason and look for your favorite players and your starting players, they rarely have ever played. No contact, uh, very few plays from scrimmage. So as a result, for the most part, you figure that the defenses are going to be ahead of the offense because they just have not had a lot of repetitions to work together. We saw that some places, but in others, 
we saw offenses hitting on all eight cylinders. Start with my team, and why not? Because I don't know when else I'm going to get to say that Lamar Jackson threw five touchdowns. And it had a perfect quarterback rating. But they went in, and I think we knew the Ravens would be pretty good. Uh, I think we both picked them for the playoffs. I picked them to go to the AFC title game. And I think we both understood that the Dolphins were going to be horrendous. And that's what we saw down in Miami, 59-10. to 10. Lamar Jackson with a, a perfect quarterback rating, five touchdown passes. And two of those touchdown passes to the, rookies Hollywood, to the rookie Hollywood Brown, two touchdowns for newcomer Mark Ingram, and another touchdown through the air for rookie Miles Boykin. So right out of the box, the Ravens off the season, off-season acquisitions, paid dividends against a, an awful Miami team. A couple other quick surprises. I, I was shocked the Jets lost that game. I really was. I thought the Jets would win their opener against the Buffalo team that I think is going to be better, yes. But up 16 nothing, dominant defensively, in their own building, four Bills turnovers, they found a way to lose. Simple, simply put, they just found a way to lose the game. They could not move the ball in the second half. They lost C.J. Mosley to an injury, and their defense wasn't nearly as good after he went down. Their kicker missed an extra point and a field goal. This is a kicker that the Ravens had in the preseason as their backup kicker after he kicked five field goals early in the preseason. They uh, got a fifth-round pick from the Vikings, who were in dire need of a kicker. He went to Minnesota. He did make their team. He was released, and the Jets picked him up, and lo and behold, he cost the Jets. Always hard to point a finger at one guy in terms of costing a team a game, but he missed an extra point. He missed a very makeable field goal, and they lose the game by a point. So I, I thought that to me was a terror. That was probably the worst loss to me in terms of a game that needs to be won by a team that's looking to make progress over last year. I'm not saying the Jets' season is over, but to be up 16 nothing. In your home opener, opener of the year against the Bills, who are you know, obviously a division rival, a team that you've got to put down as a win if you at least want to be a playoff contender or certainly be a 500 team, and they gave it away. And the most disappointing performance of the day, I mean, it's not even close. Not only did they lose, but the Pittsburgh Steelers went into New England where they never win. But they were just blown right out of the building and looked like they were wholly unprepared for anything and everything that the Patriots did on both sides of the ball. They couldn't stop New England. They only could muster a field goal. Ben Roethlisberger and his crew of wide receivers without uh, the one and only A.B., Mr. Brown, uh, looked like they were totally overmatched against a very good New England secondary, a big-time New England pass rush, and this game was over, literally, after the first drive. Pittsburgh was never in this game. You never expect the Pittsburgh Steelers to not be in a game, especially a game of this import, and they were completely outclassed, completely outplayed, completely outcoached. Am I surprised about the last part? No, because we've seen the Belichick staff completely take Mike Tomlin and his crew out to the woodshed in the past, especially in this building. I was surprised that at no point in time was the game competitive. The more things change, the more they remain the same for a couple of different points that you just brought up. It's unbelievable how awful 
the Steelers are against the New England Patriots, especially when you're going up against a quarterback that has been in this league, Al, two decades, and you still can't figure out how to make things difficult for this guy. It's the criticism that always goes along with Ben Roethlisberger. He gets the Hall of Fame whispers. He has the rings. But when you can't beat your best quarterback of the generation ever, ever, not, not in the regular season, not in the postseason, you, you can't beat this guy. You can't even be in the same sentence for the best quarterback of around this generation. At least Peyton Manning used to win a couple games here and there. Well, I, I think the thing that you find most surprising is that that game was just so non-competitive. Uh, you expect the open sun, everybody to be ready at that level of play with those two teams. But we've seen this so many times in the past when they have gone into that building whether it's the regular season or the postseason, and they have never, ever been able to stop the New England offense. The New England offense just continually and completely dominates whatever scheme the Steeler defense tries to attack with or roll back and defend with. Whatever they, whatever they draw up, it is woefully insufficient for Tom Brady and company. Um, now, we know they're incredibly difficult to beat in their building, but there are teams that have gone in there and beat them. There are teams that go in there and regularly compete with them. Pittsburgh never is competitive in that building. And not a, a good start for a team that you know, I picked to be uh, a non-playoff team, a team that told us they are going to be better without their diva wide receiver, and a team that told us they were going to be much better with their first-round draft pick, uh, the linebacker Bush out of Michigan, who everybody thought – if you listen to the Steelers, was going to totally change the face of that defense. Uh, so far, not so good, to say the very least. Just in, in, incredibly disappointing is the only way you could look at it. And if you're a Steelers fan, you have to look at this and say, we can't possibly beat Tom Brady. What's the point of even getting excited about a season when you assume you're going to have to get past him to get to the Super Bowl and he can't do it? I mean, it, he was on par to be part of the, the three-ring circus of sorts of quarterbacks from the AFC that make the Super Bowl. Because if you look at the list, it's Manning, Brady, Manning, Brady, et cetera, et cetera. Throw in a Joe Flacco, your boy, once. And then there was Big Ben early in his career. He fell off the face of the earth from, since like 2005, anywhere near this discussion. It just makes you frustrated to see as somebody that hates the Patriots that you couldn't give them at least a little bit of a run to start the season because the Pats either go, they're done, they're washed up, Brady's old because they decide to have the regular season be their preseason of sorts, or they start the year off like this and you're like, they're not going to lose a game because now they're going to get Antonio Brown, which we'll get to as the show progresses, which, which is great. Their offense is rolling on all the senators, the defense looks great, and uh, yeah, then we're going to add A.B. Fantastic, Al. I, I believe, if I am correct, the oldest quarterback to throw two touchdown passes in a game since old folks himself, and again, being the uh, second part of the title of this program, I do in fact remember when George Blanda, uh, I believe at 42, came back 
to play quarterback because Daryl LaMonica was hurt. And he was, at that point in time, the Raiders kicker. And Daryl LaMonica suffered an injury, and George Blanda came in as the backup and basically went on this historic, miraculous run of game after game after game where he pulled games out of the fire. Uh, he was even starting to come in when LaMonica was ineffective, not just because he was hurt, but because he couldn't move the team. And John Madden would go to George Blanda, who I believe at that point in time was 42 years old. He was a conventional uh, straight on place kicker and a legendary quarterback in the AFL uh, still holds the uh, tie for the all time record for most uh, touchdown passes in a season in AFL history and in a game. And he, they, they, they brushed up the mothballs and he came out and he started pulling games out of the fire, including a game against my then Cleveland Browns in 1970, where uh, he brought them down the field twice, once to, uh, tie the game, and then kicked a long field goal at the gun to win the game. And I'm pretty sure Tom Brady is the oldest quarterback since Blanded threw two touchdown passes in the game. And who knows what's going on from here based upon the fact that against the Steeler defense, I mean, did he, I, I don't not believe, I, I turned the game off after a while because, you know, it was no longer competitive. I don't believe he got sacked at all. Am I correct on that? I don't think he did either, but I, I, with you, I shut it off after too much pain to see that he had, we could say we'll give the Steelers maybe one sack, but basically he wasn't knocked down as much as he should be at this stage in his career. It's like if he was 85 years old and Hollywood decided they were going to make a Tom Brady movie, but they had to use a hologram of him to be younger so he would look like he did when he was 40 and, and he would pretend to be himself and go through the mannerisms and they would just digitalize his face to make him look younger. That's how he looks right now, into his 40s, seemingly never going to end his football career. It's unbelievable. He's, he's Benjamin Button. I mean, let's face it. He looks better now than he did when he was a rookie. He's in better shape. His haircuts vary from time to time. He's always got the boyish look. Uh, I mean, he's, a, he's in much better physical condition than he was when he came out of Michigan. And look, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you. I, I've given up trying to criticize him other than his politics um, and some of the things he says or does. But on the field, no one's ever gotten more out of what they have to work with. And it's not like he's not physically gifted. He is. But he doesn't have one of the great arms of all time. He's got a good arm. And he's throwing, when he has time, he's throwing the ball as well as ever. And remember, in the offseason, all they talked about with the Patriots is, well, my goodness. I mean, who's he going to throw to? There's nobody left. Gronk is retired. And his favorite wide receiver, all right, uh, Julian Edelman, the quarterback from Kent State, has got a broken thumb, I believe. Uh, I believe it's thumb. So who's he going to throw to? Well, lo and behold, uh, guess who comes back from his 27th uh, suspension? Josh Gordon's back. And uh, Josh Gordon looked like a man playing with boys in the Pittsburgh secondary last night. He was bigger, stronger, and faster than anyone trying to come It's unbelievable. Uh, They've brought in your guy from Denver, Demarius Thomas, who's looked great in the preseason. And oh, by the way, look who's worked his way back east from a stint... Shall we even call it a stint? 
from a uh, <laughs> a, stint. a a com a comedy routine from just a, a an incredible farcical run uh, by the Bay in Oakland, Antonio Brown next week should at least if everything goes according to plan, but who knows with him being a New England Patriot uniform, arguably the best wide receiver in the sport. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Tom Brady is going to have arguably his best receiving core at 42 years old. What is happening to this sport? And without Gronk. Yeah. Well, they they don't need him. They win Super Bowls without without him all the time. And remember, this is the guy, the old report here, I was the guy who said they couldn't possibly win without Gronk, and they won a Super Bowl without him. I said he was the most valuable player on the team. And somehow, someway, they won a Super Bowl without him when he was injured a couple years ago. So I've given up. I literally have given up in terms of counting this team out no matter what happens, no matter who is hurt, no matter who retires, unless one of two things happens. One, Tom Brady gets hurt and can't play for an extended period of time, or Bill Belichick decides either I'm not going to coach anymore or I'm going to take a leave of absence. Other than that, I just don't know what in the world is going to preclude them from at least not being uh, a, a Super Bowl contender for as long as those two are together. Uh, Obviously they have the benefit of being in the AFC least, which is without a doubt, one of the worst divisions in the sport. So they're pretty well lined up for six wins every year because those teams just don't seem to get good enough to compete uh, for a a postseason berth. Although the bills did sneak in a couple of years ago, but they are never going to be, uh, I think during the time frame that these two guys, these legends are still together, uh, do either one of us see the Jets or the Bills competing for a division title? Not as the Pats are currently structured. No. Because, I mean, perfect example. Last night, Jamie Collins is back. Jamie Collins gets shipped to Cleveland, makes a ton of money there, gets released. Now he's back in a New England uniform and looking better than ever. It's amazing how whenever they come back to New England, it looks like they never left. I want to ask you this as a quick aside because you'll be able to remember more than I could. (laughs) Brady Belichick, once one or both are gone, history would tell us that the Patriots as a team would fall back into regularity. Not, Not necessarily mediocrity, but okay, we can't give them the Super Bowl this year. They're back to being a team. Granted, they could end up with another star quarterback, et cetera, but these are once-in-a-generation talents, both as coach and both as quarterback. But we've seen stretches like this in sports before, and specifically in football, where a team dominates a whole decade, even more so than that. There's going to be a time when the Patriots are awful, hopefully, please, knock on wood if you're with me, to quote John Gruden, and I can maybe tell my children about how great the Patriots were, but it's great to revel in how awful they are. 
We see this a lot in college football, like the Nebraska years where they're beating teams 70 to nothing. Now that they're just, eh, okay, Nebraska, I'm sure there's fans across the country that are thrilled. The same goes for Miami, et cetera. What team in football had this, this title last, I guess you could say? Was it the Cowboys in the early 90s that was the team of when are they ever going to lose again? And we're going to have to wait for Troy and Emmett and Michael and Jimmy to get the hell out of town so somebody could beat these guys. Well, I, I think the team that's had a longer stretch of bad play interrupted by a, a couple good years was probably the 49ers because the 49ers went on their great run uh, where they were Super Bowl champs or Super Bowl contenders every year uh, fighting Dallas later on for the NFC title uh, after Montana retired or after Montana was traded uh, and they had won four Super Bowls with Montana. But remember, then Steve Young got the job and they were terrific with Steve Young, including another Super Bowl appearance and a mauling of the Chargers. And they would go pretty much every year and play Dallas in the NFC conference finals while Dallas was making their run to championships. And then after Steve Young retired, you had the Niners who were competitive for a while under a series of quarterbacks uh, who were not nearly Hall of Fame caliber, and then it slowly but surely sunk into what it has been for the last few years, uh, with the exception of a couple good years with Colin Kaepernick, uh, where they competed in Jim Harbaugh, but sandwiched around the Harbaugh years, the Niners were obviously hideous for quite a while, and the hopes are now great with the with Jimmy G, and they got off one and zero yesterday with a very mediocre performance by him and the team. But they played an absolutely awful Tampa Bay team with a, a moribund performance by Jameis Winston, who may be playing his way out of the National Football League. But to me, it would be the Niners that come to mind because they were. Of all the teams, they probably of all the teams that we can think of that were on the great Super Bowl runs, they probably sunk the lowest. I mean, it's one thing to not go to championships. You know, it, it's one thing to not make the postseason. It's another thing, you know, to be three and thirteen or two and fourteen or five and eleven or four and twelve for an extended period of time. That didn't happen to Dallas. Uh, that didn't happen to Pittsburgh. Uh, they still competed most of the time to be in the postseason. That didn't happen to the great, you know, because obviously Dan Marino came along after the great Dolphin teams, and they were competitive every year and went to one Super Bowl. Uh, but I would say that the biggest fall from grace, and again, you still had times where they jumped back in. You had Alex Smith. You had Colin Kaepernick. Uh, you had spots where they came back into uh, uh, postseason play and were competing uh, even to go to Super Bowl and did go to Super Bowl, obviously with uh, Harbaugh's Niners uh, and Kaepernick losing to my Ravens. But, you know, before and after that, they had some very, very down, 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 top of the draft years, uh, which you didn't see the other franchises have. See, I knew you'd have the answer. <laughs> now, we mentioned briefly in the beginning of the show, the more things change the more they stay the same. We're talking about the Cleveland Browns, Al, after week one, because one of the surprises to me 
was just how poorly the Browns were to open up the season. Now, for one, the Tennessee Titans quietly have a very, very good defense. They're not a team to be reckoned with. Not the best team to have to face in week one. But you have all these offensive weapons. You have all this cockiness. You have a pretty darn good defense yourself. And I expected them to come out guns a-blazing and show everybody what they're made of. And as we mentioned last week, or as I did, be that cocky team in the National Football League, that villain that you want to beat every week but can do just enough to get enough wins to keep that villain status. And you go out in week one and lose 43-13 to 13 to Marcus Mariota and his defense. It's, it's an absolutely atrocious loss, not because, I mean, it's the Browns. So in that sense, it's not that shocking. And if it was just the Browns on paper, you would say, oh, you know, week one struggles, new coach, new co- everything's new, we get it. But from all the talk that we heard to come out and put up a dud like that and now almost be in a must-win game headed into week two against another must-win team in the Jets. That game is, is of incredible importance for both these franchises now in week two. So what surprised me was the Browns laying such an egg in week one. In such a, it, The game wasn't close at any point, really. It was all Titans. It, 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 it was a 15-13 game in the third quarter, so... I mean, it was times when they were close. Here's what surprised me about that game. I wasn't shocked that they lost because Houston is always, excuse me, uh, Houston. I'll call them the Houston Oilers forever. Uh, The Titans are always competitive for the most part. They travel well, you know, defense and special teams travels. They always have a strong defense. They've had a very strong one this year. Marcus Mariota, when he takes care of the football, they compete. He's not going to throw for 400 yards. He's not going to throw for five touchdowns. If they can run the football and control with their short passing game, they compete. They do not in any way, shape, or form excite anyone. They are literally one of the most boring football teams to watch. They're like watching paint dry. However, concerns for the Browns, not a lot of preseason work between the young quarterback and the new star wide receiver. And what you saw was a total and complete train wreck from what could possibly go wrong and what did go wrong. 18, a franchise record, 18 penalties. 18 It's hard to commit 18 penalties. 18 penalties in one game. The offensive line did not protect their quarterback. This is a 15-13 game in the third quarter until a screen pass where uh, Derrick Henry took it 75 yards against a, a very good defense, a lot of athletes, and somehow, some way, nobody could catch him. And that was the game right there. Then came the interceptions, three by Baker Mayfield, one of which was returned for a touchdown that made this game look a lot worse uh, than the competitive nature of it was. But they really did everything possibly wrong. The most... A disconcerting part, if I'm a Browns fan, is the fact that of, of all their aspects as a team, you come into the season questioning the offensive line more than anything else. They have great skill positions. They have what looks to be an outstanding young quarterback. They have a wonderful defensive line. 
good people in the secondary. Mediocre, I think, at linebacker. But nonetheless, that, that makes for a pretty sound defense. And their offensive line was controlled. They were not able to run the ball, and they were not able to protect the quarterback. And I don't care, you know, what we talk about Tom Brady, he never gets dirty. Baker Mayfield got sacked five times. He got hurried a lot more than five times. And it shows. And I am sure they will rebound because they're too talented not to. And there isn't a more perfect fit than, you know, a deflated jet team coming in off of a brutal loss at home. So I think that they will rebound. But you have to be concerned with the 18 penalties and the inability to protect your quarterback. Because you know penalties are a result of sloppiness, unpreparedness, and unprofessionalism. And you know how you're not prepared to play your home opener uh, and the opening game of a season in which there are such high hopes. And I, I was not too pleased with the reactions either. I love Baker Mayfield, but I didn't like his reactions in the post-game press, press conference. I like Jarvis Landry's comments in the post-game press conference. I think they all... And I have no problem with being cocky. I have no problem with the swagger. I have no problem with I was feeling dangerous today. I love it. But you also have to be professional. This is not college anymore. You have to act with the press like you are a professional football player. Not some fly-by-night dope. Not some uh, guy who is constantly embarrassing the team every time he opens his mouth. You're big boys. You're getting paid to play. It's a business act like it. I don't mind the cockiness, but you know, I, I don't like the almost, almost blameless nature of their responses in the post-game uh, press conferences. You know, how about credit to credit to Tennessee? We got outplayed and we sucked in every aspect of the game, at least on my end, from the offensive perspective, we were off. I was bad. I knew I didn't do a good job. I got to be better next week. And it's back to the drawing board. It's one game, and it's one crappy game. And we hope the hell it's never going to happen again. We'll do everything we can to make sure it doesn't happen again. we got to put this one away and move on. Show a little professionalism. I'll, I'll, I'll take some cliches. I'll take some high road stuff. But, you know, act like a pro now because that's what you are. You're not, you know, the raw rookie. You're not the top draft pick anymore. Those days are gone. You're now a veteran. You that's the, that's the, the big step you make. In the National Football League, you go from being the raw rookie and boom, you're instantly a veteran, which always kind of intrigued me. You know, when you're a veteran, they make it sound like you're in the league for five, seven, eight, ten years. Well, you're, you're, you're one year removed from being a rookie. You're one game removed from being a rookie. But regardless, that's the way the, that's the, way the cookie crumbles. So I, I think they need to do a better job. I was the one who said last week, I'm not worried about Freddie Kitchens. They go out and lay an egg next week. I will be worried about Freddie Kitchens. Well, you're entering territory now. We mentioned the Jets game as a must-win of sorts. For somebody. If you lose that game, you're 0-2. Okay, it's not the end of the world, but it's not great. And stats will tell you that. (laughs) If you ever look at who starts 0-1 and who starts 0-2 and then goes on to win a Super Bowl in the NFL, some of the stats you never put together realize it's not good to get off to a slow start in the NFL, according to history. But say you lose that game, or we'll even give you a win. Whatever it is, one and one. Then you have to host the Rams, okay? 
Then you're going to your Baltimore Ravens, who just put a shellacking on the Dolphins. Then you're going to San Francisco, where Jimmy Garoppolo at that time in week five might have worked out some kings from his torn ACL and gets in some line with his offense. We'll say you get a win there. Then you play Seattle. Then a bye at New England. Ouch. I mean, okay, you get to week nine, you play Denver, and we don't know how that's going to go, depending on this so far ugly Monday night football game, and then the Bills, and then you get into some divisional games. But the first part of the season could be a slap in the face for this team, and we don't know yet if they have enough to be able to handle that and respond from it or fold well, up. Here's, here's, here's the good thing from a Brown perspective. All right? Look at all the other teams. And I, look, we always have instant overreaction. Overreaction Monday, early in the National Football League. We do it all the time. It's become a joke. But this is not 162 games in the Major League Baseball season. It's not an 82-game NBA season. It's not an 80-game NHL season. There's only 16 of these. So everyone is important. So if you look at it from that point of view, every game that everybody else plays is important. So Jets, wildcard competitor, 0-1. Pittsburgh, wildcard competitor, 0-1. Colts, wildcard competitor, 0-1. All right? So right there, Houston, wildcard competitor, excuse me, Texas, wildcard competitor, Texans, 0-1. So you, you, you look around to the other teams that you potentially would be competing with for one of those wildcard spots because, you know, I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, winning any division in any, any conference is difficult. So you take a playoff spot any way you can get it. And you think, worst case scenario, wildcard. Well, the teams that they would be competing with for wild cards, forget about their division, uh, all lost. In my mind, it seems they were the main competitors for wild cards, all lost with the possible exception of the Buffalo Bills. So, uh, and they'll have a chance to rectify that later on if you play them. So it's a loss, but it's also a loss to a team that is a, a pretty good team and will be one of those competitors, both in their division in the AFC South because of the loss of, of in my mind, Andrew Luck, because of Houston's loss tonight. Um, who will compete for a division title because they will hang around. Tennessee will always hang around. That's the way they play, which we talked about before. They're as boring as it could possibly be, but they are a team that finds ways to score just enough, always defend well, and win games that are in the hat, win games that are close, win games that result in them going nine and seven, eight and eight. Always one of those teams with two weeks to go is on the board for a potential wild card because they can play, they play competitive football. They take good care of the football for the most part and they put their, they're pretty sound fundamental. So that's a team that you always see hanging around and they just played a better sounder football game than the, the Browns who just made far too many mistakes. But there is a silver lining in that a, a good chunk of the teams they'll be competing with lost. Um, so, but it is instantly a big game for them next week, of course, and a big game for the Jets as well. So um, I think I do think the Browns will rebound. 
That is a good way to put it. See, there you go, Browns fans. Or Browns players. We can have Al give the uh, halftime and post-game speeches from now on to give you a little bit more optimism, even though you secretly will never love the Browns again after uh, your old fandom from many years ago. Switching cities, switching names. Google it, kids. You tell them. You tell them. Google it. The real Cleveland Browns are in Baltimore, folks. Look it up. <laughs> Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So we did have our really most exciting game finish on Monday night, which is nice for the league, and I'm sure they're excited about that with the Saints edging out the Texans 30-28. to The Saints have the ball at the 15 or so, killing the clock, up 24-21, like 2.05 left. And then that would lead to the Saints going 56 yards, kicking a field goal. Houston going 75 yards in two plays to score, missing an extra point, but then making it because of a penalty and then having the Saints go 35 yards again and kick a 58-yard game-winning field goal as the buzzer sounds. I, I mean, it's a heartbreaking loss either way and it's a great win either way for both those teams the Saints get the last laugh in a sense for that interesting note that came across the old Twitter for the final play of the game where the Saints end up getting just enough to get into Will Lutz field goal range they're rushing two and dropping nine with six seconds left to go up a point and needing to stop the Saints from getting into field goal range. Six seconds left. Basically backpedaling and, I don't know, maybe thinking Drew Brees is going to throw it to the end zone. I, I'm a little bit curious. Which, 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 he, can't, which he can't even reach. Yeah, yeah, there, there's no shot. <laughs> there's no chance. I'm a little curious as to why you don't maybe send a little bit more pressure there, but obviously one play doesn't change the game. It, it's just nice to see that, we don't have to be non-believers if you needed to be. These are going to be two of the best teams that we'll watch if they stay healthy. Unfortunately for the Texans, you know, sometimes Bill O'Brien isn't somebody you'd like and would love to have to trust in the fourth quarter. Maybe you give the edge there then to the Saints, which was proven in today's game. But for both teams, you can come away being like, all right, we're going to be two of the best in the NFC. Let's stay healthy. Let's go try to win this thing. Well, what we also have to see, though, is the Texans are going to have to do a better job you know, protecting the quarterback. They're, they've struggled to do that for years. They brought in Tunsil uh, from the Dolphins, who are obviously having a fire sale. Uh, their top pick of a couple of years ago is a terrific offensive lineman, but he only handles one side of the line. And, you know, five more sacks, I believe, tonight uh, of uh, their wonderful young quarterback. But are they going to be able to keep him upright? Because even on the touchdown pass, he took a hellacious hit on the touchdown pass, which I was kind of surprised wasn't called roughing the passer. Uh, I was glad it wasn't, but in this day and age, I thought it might be. Uh, he has taken far too many hits in his young career. And, uh, you know, we've seen these guys are only one hit away. Uh, of course, yesterday it happened to, uh, you know, to the new Jacksonville quarterback. Nick Foles is out indefinitely. Tough break for him on a touchdown pass. Uh, he got uh, fallen on, broken collarbone, surgery, out indefinitely. 
So I think uh, that's a huge blow to Jacksonville. We'll see if they go out and try and bring in another quarterback. But their rookie, the mustachioed one, came in and, and really did a wonderful job. But uh, their high-priced defense, of course, was going up against uh, you know my pick to go to the Super Bowl from the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs, who lost to Hill uh, for a few weeks. But a Sammy Watkins sighting, the Sammy Watkins, who was a top draft pick out of Clemson, Caught three touchdown passes yesterday. He looked like the Sammy Watkins we've been waiting for him to be. Uh, Lo and behold, LaShawn McCoy sighting at 10 carries for 80-plus yards, over eight yards a carry. Uh, Kansas City offense picking up what left off. Kansas City defense doing the same. Uh, The Chiefs are going to be a very tough team to beat with that offense. I think the question that you, you have to worry about with the Chiefs is the number of times they throw the ball is clearly injuries, injuries to their quarterback, injuries to their receivers. He'll already out. And if Patrick Mahomes is going to throw that many times, that that is a a risk when a quarterback's going to throw the ball, when he's going to put it up that many times, be back there amongst pass rushers, blitzing linebackers, guys coming from the secondary or throwing on the run. You are literally throwing caution to the wind with your young quarterback being put in harm's way, you don't have eyes in the back of your head. Russell Wilson has survived uh, and flourished, but Russell Wilson doesn't throw the ball 45 times a game. As evidenced by yesterday, when they refused to throw the ball and thought that it would be better to go with the old Bo Schembechler three yards and a Woody Hayes three yards and a cloud of dust because they averaged about three yards a carry and just kept running it, running it, running it. Almost cost them as they pulled a game out of the fire, which to me would have been the biggest upset of the day. Seattle survives against a Bengal team we think will be woeful 21-20. Well, they survived, and it was close because I picked them in a survivor pool that I'm in. (laughs) That's why the game came down to the wire, Al. There's no other way to put it. Of course it did. A lot of people went with the Seattle Seahawks thinking the Bengals would be not even close to good. A.J. Green not in there. It was a sure win at home, starting the season. Well, of course, they win by the skin of their teeth. I'm also in a pick-a-losers pool, so you pick, obviously, the team that will lose each week, and I went with the Redskins, thinking the Eagles would be fine, and again, another nail-biter right down to the end. I couldn't have had a nice, easy 59-10, to 10, either going with the Ravens or the Dolphins in both of those, to have a, a little bit of an easier Sunday, so... I'll keep you guys updated with that as the season goes on, hopefully for more than just next week's show. And we could even get our six-pack segment back, picking three from both college and NFL. And you can fade us and then win money because of not going with our picks. So we saved the story that made most news in the National Football League for last (laughs) because it's been a story we've been telling on this program for seemingly a month at least. Under the big top, the one and only. That's right. Coming to New England's big top, if you can believe it, because that was the running joke. And, of course, it comes to fruition. And I don't even know if I can get the timeline exactly in order because so many things have happened from even just last week up until now that it's hard to even keep track. From his apology to the team to the verbal altercations with Mike Mayock and the argument that they got in to then being fined for such and for missing practice, posting those fines on Instagram, saying that he wanted to be released, get me out of here. 
I'm going to hold out. I'm not paying these fines. Putting out a conversation that he had with John Gruden about coming to play and putting that out there with or without his approval, we found out that he did get him approved because if John Gruden wanted to, he could sue Antonio Brown for putting out a recorded conversation that he didn't know would be out there. Then we get the video of him being released and running around the lawn and the pool like a child on Christmas morning that just got a Super Nintendo in all of his glee. And shortly thereafter, the New England Patriots come a-calling, as they do with many of these cases, it seems, in the history of this league with Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. Sure, we'll take him on. Which now leads to an incredulous amount of questions of... Did he have this plan all along? Did this just fall into his lap? What was his motive? I'll leave the floor to you. What did you think of, of, this, of all of this? Is, is this what he wanted all along? Is this the perfect plan finally come to fruition? Well, for, and you also, just to, to put a cap around the antics uh, that we saw in the backyard of Wayne Antonio Brown, you also had the conversation with Graham. Grandma, right. they set yes. me free. On the phone, they set me free. I'm free. Grandma, I remember, Grandma, I'm free, Grandma. Grandma, I'm free. Uh, here's the best way I can put it. We followed this all summer long, from the feet to the helmet. Uh, then comes the altercation with the general manager. Then all is well, and the apology to the team and he's going to be ready to go uh, for Monday Night Football. And then lo and behold, it all hits the fans. And the next morning, he's like, huh? What? Huh? Where? What did I miss? I went to bed last night. And he was going to be playing Monday night. And he's getting his salary and everything's good. And now he's being released and fine and not, wants to be released. And the bonus money is, is what's happening here? The guarantee? We're not guaranteeing your money. Because we were, we were able, we find you, so we don't have to pay your guaranteed money, and you're getting paid week to week, and I am out of here. So what do I think? Here's what I think. Uh, many years ago, and I mean many years ago, uh, after you were born, when you were a little boy, ESPN aired a negotiation between a young agent and his client. His client was a defensive back by the name of Robert Massey was a second-round draft pick drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. And, excuse me, it may have been St. Louis at that point in time. I'm not even sure it was so long ago. And the general manager was one Jim Finks. I mean, in fact, it may have even been the Bears. I apologize. When, when the original draft. Jim Finks was the general manager. And they actually aired this negotiation as part of showing sports fans how it goes back and forth in the interplay between the agent and the general manager negotiating the contract. And this agent went on and on and on trying to paint his second round pick as a first round pick. Why should be paid first round money and all the reasons why, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you saw Jim Finks, who was literally being his eyes were, his eyes were becoming glazed over regardless. That agent was of course, Drew Rosenhaus who is the most famous agent in the National Football League, who has the most clients, who went to the University of Miami, who got all the Miami football players, and who basically, in my mind, has the reputation of you know, having to reach up to, snatch, to, to scratch a snake's belly. 
he got his start by stealing his mentors, clients out of the box. He has been a guy who, when you watch him, when you listen to him, when you hear him, the way he talks, the way he moves, the way he speaks, uh, whether it's at the draft, post-draft, in the kind of conversations we saw about Antonio Brown, that you literally are looking for snake oil somewhere. To me, this, in my mind, I do not in any way, shape, or form outlaw the possibility that this entire thing from beginning to end was orchestrated by Drew Rosenhaus and Antonio Brown. And people say, well, we're saying, look how much money left on the table. How much money do you leave on the table? Realistically, in terms of guaranteed money, between what he's going to get from the Pats and what he's going to get from the Raiders. Because remember, when the trade was made, they wouldn't trade him to the Pats because they weren't going to trade him to a contender. So they traded him to Oakland for a third and a fifth. It would not in any way, shape, or form surprise me if Rosenau said to his client, look, they're giving up a third and fifth to get you. I've already spoken to New England. They're not going to trade him. They're not going to trade you there. This is what I know we could get in New England based upon my conversations with them if you were by chance available in terms of money. So I know we can get that. You're gonna, I'm, I'm going to need you more money in Oakland. But the point is, where do you really want to play? You tell me. You want to take a little less money because you got plenty, and I'm obviously going to make less money off the commission. But where are you going to be the happiest? And if he says New England, well, what's your job as an agent? Your job is to get your player where he wants to go. So if that's Drew Rosenhaus's job to get his player where he ultimately wants to go, it would not surprise me in the least if this entire dog and pony show from the feet to the helmet, to the altercation, to the fight, to the release of the conversation, to showing up late for everything under the sun was all the, if you, for lack of a better term, brainchild of one Drew Rosenhaus and his client to get a release so he could wind up with the New England Patriots for nothing. They didn't have to give up future considerations. They didn't have to give up a draft pick. They didn't have to give up anything. And they didn't even pay him the huge dollars that he was seeking. He's getting good money. He's not getting great money. But if he goes to New England and has a great season, the great money will be there. And he'll be a happy camper because he will show everybody, look what I did. Same thing Randy Moss did. He said he couldn't do it. He did it. He said, I couldn't do it. I did it. Right? I can fit in. And whether it's the Patriots or somebody else, we'll give them a whole bunch of money next year. So I truly believe that I would not in any way, shape, or form put it past Drew Rosenhaus as being the architect of this entire dog and pony show we saw go on uh, in Oakland for the past three months. And if it doesn't work out, the Pats will just get a third-round pick. No problem. It's a win-win for them. It's a win-win, you would think, for Antonio Brown. It's certainly a win-win for Drew Rosenhaus. It's a loss-loss for the Oakland Raiders. This has been one of the most wildest circuses we've seen in this league, and it seems like all the whispers that you hear have been 100% true from his former teammates, from former coaches, from former people in management. Everybody tries to sweep that under the rug if he's on their team, which is what the Oakland Raiders tried to do. But everybody that's played with him or has been around him gives the whispers of, man, this guy's just out for himself. 
And shame on John Gruden, Mike Mayock, and the Raiders organization for being completely oblivious to this thing and thinking that they would be able to tame the beast just with some hard handshakes and a stern look and we're going to go out and win some football games. Knock on wood if you're with me. Completely oblivious to what was really going on and really just getting slapped around throughout this whole deal. Now what are they left with? A couple picks? Great. Grand. Wonderful. Best case scenario for this, if you're an Antonio Brown hater and, and you're now wishing the worst, is this honeymoon stage ends in New England. Things go a little south in the locker room. That becomes public. He gets shipped out. They're not going to take any of his crap in New England, which he knows. So I don't think there will be any because he knows what he's getting into now. And then he gets shipped off to some dog team to spend the rest of the season and beyond. That's all you can hope for now if you're an Antonio Brown hater. But it seems like the hatred's going to be strong with this New England offense. It's unbelievable how this all matriculated. We've seen antics before, though, come contract time. The Hall of Fame wide receiver did in Philadelphia, you know, with the sit-ups in the driveway. Uh, those antics. Uh, brilliant player, again, didn't hurt anybody, but some of the things... Uh, you know, that he did specifically in Philly were wholly unprofessional. No one says we've never seen anything like this, but, you know, you don't have to harken back too far, uh, nary a season or two, to some of the out-and-out asinine antics uh, by the new Cleveland number one wide receiver. Uh, these guys, and we have, everybody has such a short memory. I've never seen anybody so unprofessional. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, whoa. Beckham is, is, you know, he's talking to kicking nets on the side. He's talking to kicking nets on the side. He's talking to a kicking net on the sideline. Talking to it. The question is now, who takes back the throne for most ridiculous antic? A.B. holds it. Who's going to reach out and try to take it next? Al, it's always Folks, a pleasure. It's, uh, it's, it, what, what a way to kick off, no pun intended. The hundredth season in the National Football League. <laughs> Johnny, as always, it's been a pleasure. Folks, we hope you all have a great sports week. We'll be right back here next Monday night, all over sports radio, America, LondonBridge.com for the new report, the old report. I am the old portion. For John Tiny Londo, I'm El Renato, AKL from White Plains. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.